It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Well, this is a tragedy. And no, I'm not talking about politics. And yes, we'll get to Carrie Lake in a moment and all of that. But Jay Leno was seriously burned in a car fire over the weekend. He told Variety a statement, I'm okay, just need a week or two to get back on my feet. He is very lucky. You know, Jay has been, he had a show, Jay Leno's Garage. I mean, he's been a car enthusiast uh, for, I guess, most of his adult life. And a car fire in this case, um, according to TMZ, I believe it was, you know, singed the side of his face, but not his eyes or his nose. I mean, he could have been seriously disfigured. I mean, he could have been consumed by the flames. Uh, I guess it's a risk that you take when you work with cars all the time. Then surprise me that that's what happened. I mean, it does surprise me in the sense of um, just what a horrible thing it is. So wishing Jay well. I used to do a pretty good Jay Leno impression. You know, uh, I'm I was kind of going to the for the laugh there. Okay, okay. Remember the story that NBC had to retract about the horrifying attack on Paul Pelosi. Um, It was was put out there, and it kind of raised the question about did these two guys know each other at a time when all those conspiracy theories were circulating about, you know, was the attacker a male prostitute? I mean, all of which we know now in the wake of the confession to be complete and total BS. Um, and it, you know, it said, well, what, how was it that, uh, the 82 year old Pelosi was walking toward the attacker, just took some bits and pieces and suddenly, you know, there was an editor's note, uh, the story was based on an unreliable source, uh, and therefore it did not meet NBC's editorial standards. And that's all we knew. Okay. So now the Daily Beast reports that the Today Show correspondent, who wrote this piece or reported this piece on the air, Miguel Almaguer, I hope I'm not mispronouncing his name, has been suspended while the network investigates. And so, again, you know, NBC not confirming it on the record, but the report is that he's been suspended. So now it's turned from we stand by this story to we don't stand by this story to the story didn't meet our standards to, you know, we're not going to really say anything more about it to, yeah, we suspended that guy. Um, You know, when you rely on one unnamed source who may not have it right, who may have an axe to grind, who may have an agenda, it's always very dangerous. All right. I don't want to wait much longer. So story number one, of course... As usual, Donald Trump making the announcement tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern, Mar-a-Lago. And if you follow all of his postings on Truth Social, as I do as part of my job, um, you know, there are all these denials of that Maggie Haberman report that Trump is angry. And I don't know, you know, if he's walking around fuming or not, but he certainly sounds angry in a lot of these posts. Um, We'll get to what he had to say about Carrie Lake's loss in Arizona in the very next segment. But, 
you know, the whole, you know, old crow, Mitch McConnell, and the media are the enemy of the people once again, fake news, and going after Fox, and going after Glenn Youngkin, sounds Chinese, doesn't it? And going after the Sanctimonious, um, which I have to admit is a pretty good nickname. I mean, Axelrod said that Trump was diabolical and clever at sort of finding an opponent's weakness and then, you know, making it stick with some catchphrase or something like that. Um, But clearly the environment in which Trump is going to give this speech is far different than what we might have expected a week ago and far, far different than what we might have expected a month ago. Because he was supposed to the midterms were supposed to go well, right? They were, they were going to pick up 30 seats in the House. And I'll come back to that. And take over the Senate, maybe with a few seats to spare. And instead, the Democrats have already taken control of the Senate and are going to take control of the House, but it looks like a two or three vote margin. Um, and so, so rather than being able to talk about what a great night it was for Republicans... Donald Trump can't do that, but he can talk about what a great night it was for him, which he's done, because he throws out these, you know, 219 people I endorse. Well, first of all, a lot of them were going to win anyway. They were already on their way, and he just threw in an endorsement. And the ones, the, the, the name brand MAGA candidates who Trump backed, almost all of them lost in the key Senate races, at least. And Doug Mastriano for governor of Pennsylvania, absolutely clobbered, a Trump guy. And many of these were election deniers. Um, Every election denier that ran for either secretary of state or the top office overseeing elections was defeated. Dr. Oz was defeated. He was a Trump guy. Blake Masters in Arizona was defeated. He was a Trump guy. Um, And on and on. The list goes on. So what's not great if you're Donald Trump is on the day you're going to give the speech, Politico has a headline saying, Republicans cringe as Trump 2024 approaches. Think about that. And it's not like Politico's making this stuff up. I mean, you've had certain Republicans like uh, Virginia Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears saying it's time to move on from Trump. Trump says, I always knew she was a phony. (laughs) Um, And you have others just hanging back, asking him to delay until the Georgia runoff on December 6th which is important to Georgia and may be important in terms of whether the Dems get an extra vote in the Senate or not. And so even people who really liked and defended Donald Trump during his presidency, at least up till uh, January 6th, are practically begging him not to run. Now, I don't see that happening. I suppose the surprise announcement could be I'm not going to run, but come on, it's Donald Trump. Why would... He do that. What he's trying to do is throw a series of brushback pitches and get DeSantis not to run and get 
Pence not to run. There was more from that Pence interview with ABC's uh, David Muir that aired yesterday in which he was asked, you know, do you think Donald Trump should be the nominee? And the former vice president said, I think we have better choices, was his diplomatic way of putting it. And then he said that he is praying on it with his family to decide whether he gets in, which he obviously wants to do. And by the way, if Pence and Nikki Haley and DeSantis all run against Trump, he wins. Because divided field is great for Trump, as it was in 2016. And by the way, Jim Garrity observed in National Review today that Ron DeSantis can just sit tight for six months, do nothing, and in effect let Trump run against himself. And I think actually that would be a very smart strategy. DeSantis doesn't have to jump in just because Trump does two years early. Beyond that, you know, on the other side, I still think he has a very strong grip on the MAGA base. And I kind of ignore these polls. Oh, DeSantis is leading by seven in, in this state and so forth and so on because he hasn't been attacked. He hasn't been tested by the fire of a national campaign. He's never run for anything outside of Florida. Could have a glass jaw or not. Or people could be, or Republicans could be so happy to have a younger version of somebody who would pursue many Trump-like policies, and he does all the culture war stuff, but he also is savvy enough to uh, be a little bit more to the center or center-left on the environment, for example. Anyway, all of which is to say that here's Mark Thiessen, a longtime Washington Post columnist, conservative. Donald Trump appears to be surrounded by a band of enablers who refuse to tell him things he doesn't want to hear, so I will. Mr. President, it is not in your interest to run in 2024. If you do, you will likely lose. And you will destroy what remains of your legacy in the process. Please don't do it. Now, it's like the second paragraph, Thiessen says, Donald Trump should be considered one of the greatest conservative presidents in modern times. And he reels off a list of accomplishments. But another presidential run will obliterate what's left of that legacy. After the 2020 election, I wrote Trump should pursue his legal challenges, but if the courts rejected them, he should graciously concede, focus on saving the Senate majority in Georgia's runoff, here we go again, preside over a smooth transition, attend Joe Biden's inauguration, and prepare to reclaim the presidency in four years. Instead, he embraced election denial. Yeah, needless to say, he didn't take your advice, Mark. Uh, He goes on to say, that Donald Trump's iron grip on the GOP is beginning to crack. Quoting uh, Republican Senator Cynthia Loomis of Wyoming, saying the question is, who is the current leader of the Republican Party? Oh, I know who it is, Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is the leader of the Republican Party, whether he wants to be or not, says the senator. Anyway, uh, Thiessen wraps it up by saying, On the House side, party leaders like Elise Stefanik of New York, Richard Hudson, North Carolina, and whip hopeful Jim Banks of Indiana already vowed to back Trump, even before his bid is official. Not surprisingly, Senate Republicans are offering an even chillier reception. John Thune, the number two Senate Republican, had no qualms about saying just yesterday he wouldn't declare 
He wouldn't endorse Trump in a contested primary. John Cornyn, also a very influential figure in the party. No, I'm sure I'll support the nominee of the Republican Party, but I think there's likely to be a competitive primary election. Now, let me circle back to the House because this is really weird. It's almost like a retraction. So yesterday morning, NBC called the House contest for the Republicans. NBC can now project, you know, I mean, this was on the air. So with my own eyes, NBC can now project that Republicans will take over the House. And then, you know, first of all, imagine if NBC was able to project if a couple of races had turned out differently. NBC could now project that Democrats in a shocking move will hold on to the House. Well, that would have been the story every 10 minutes for weeks. But instead, they made the projection. And then it kind of got memory hold because I remember watching yesterday, Steve Kornacki comes on and either he didn't get the memo or was doing his own judgments. And he said, yeah, the uh, based on some races in California that were decided on Sunday night, which looked very strong for the Republicans. Uh, it was very difficult. It was likely, he said, difficult to see a path for the Democrats. But acting as if that NBC call, projection, had never taken place. I watched this morning, same thing. What projection? It just vanished. It's it's almost like somebody at 30 Rock said, uh, yeah, like we're not going to mention that again. I mean, pretty close to a retraction in a way. I mean, what's the point of making it? And then everybody on NBC and MSNBC ignores it. You got me. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. All right, as promised, story two, Carrie Lake losing her bid to become Arizona's next governor. It was the Democratic Secretary of State, Katie Hobbs, who pulled out a victory. NBC called that on Monday night, last night. Maybe NBC wants to retract that, I don't know. But this is fascinating because all the stories are framed, you know, superstar Carrie Lake, rising star Carrie Lake. I mean, without taking anything away from her, she is very skilled in front of a camera. But this is a woman, backed by Trump, who totally opposed to abortion, a 2020 election denier. Uh, who said repeatedly that she was going to win, and if she didn't, it would raise questions about how corrupt the system is. All very different. And then she, you know, she dressed down reporters just the other day saying, I will be your worst freaking nightmare as governor. That's how confident she was. I am going to reform journalism. I don't know, send them all off to re-education camp. 
Um, but when she was a Phoenix anchor for 25 years, you know, the New York Times has quoted many, several people who either worked for her at that Fox 10 station or were friends with her as saying, no, she was totally different. She wasn't a right winger at all. She was, in fact, an Obama contributor. She said nice things about Barack and Michelle Obama. Um, she just was, in the telling of these people, far more liberal. Now, Donald Trump wasted no time going on True Social to say, wow, they just took the election away from Carrie Lake. It's really bad out there. So just unpack that for a second. Who is they? They are the people who cast legitimate ballots that were always going to be counted late because they were turned in Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. But they're people who voted, and they're entitled to have their votes counted, and everybody knew that would be the process. In fact, I thought there was a pretty good chance that Carrie Lake would overtake Katie Hobbs because she was only trailing by about 30,000 votes. Now, Carrie Lake has been very circumspect in recent days. And by the way, her camp knew in the last 48 hours she was going to lose. They could see where the votes were coming from. They would see that they, she was not getting the split that she needed to get. In other words, like a two-to-one split or something much health, at least as healthy as that, to come up with those missing 30,000 votes. So she went on Twitter and said, Arizonans know BS when they see it. And wow, did the liberal Twitterverse come down on her. Well, yeah, you, you called that one right. As if she was talking about herself. Now, her camp, and apparently there's been a division of opinion on this, had a decision to make. Are they going to graciously concede? And maybe she runs again. Or do they charge corruption, fraud, and, you know, we go through the whole process, and in the end, Katie Hobbs is still the next governor. Now, the, one of the mistakes that Carrie Lake made, and Megan McCain has had a lot to say about this because she repeatedly attacked Megan by name, her family, her late father. She called John McCain a loser. She said that she and her followers had driven a stake in the heart of the McCain machine. So it was Maricopa County, which encompasses Phoenix, by far the most popular, uh, populous, I should say, uh, uh, powerful county, tallying votes, including a record-breaking 290,000 ballots dropped on Election Day. But in the end... Carrie Lake lost by 0.8%. It was about 20,000 votes. So she was that close to overtaking Katie Hobbs. So you've got to take her bid seriously, or we'd be having a very different conversation this morning. But she fell short. And again, we'll see how it plays out. Now, related to this is Kevin McCarthy. The House leadership vote is today. And McCarthy's got that same problem where he thought he'd be presiding over very successful midterms that would give him a, a sizable margin and would carry him to victory in his law, lifelong dream of becoming speaker. Andy Biggs of the Freedom Caucus uh, has already declared 
Now, I don't think he has 218 votes. So McCarthy spent the day trying to lock down votes, and he's had to deal with Freedom Caucus types. He's had to deal with the most right-wing lawmakers, and that includes Marjorie Taylor Greene. Now, the fact that they now have all this clout, and this is, rem- this is analogous to Joe Manchin in a 50-50 Senate, means life is difficult. If, if McCarthy makes it a speaker, any faction, any group of dissenters could just simply, you know, defy him or block legislation. Uh, and they can just, you know, it's kind of, it's actually equally analogous to the progressive wing of the Democratic Party getting Joe Biden to adopt a lot of hard left agenda items. I don't say that was true of all. And I think Biden got a lot of uh, bipartisan bills passed, particularly at the end of the first two years. All right, let me move on to number three. This Washington Post story, clearly based on Justice Department leaks, is fascinating in this sense. Federal agents and prosecutors have come to believe former President Donald Trump's motive for allegedly taking and keeping classified documents was largely his ego and a desire to hold on to the materials as trophies or mementos according to people familiar with the matter. That review has not found any apparent business advantage to the types of classified info in Trump's possession, these people said. FBI interviews of witnesses so far also do not point to any nefarious effort by Trump to leverage, sell, or use the government secrets. Instead, he seems motivated by a more basic desire not to give up what he believed was his property, which, in fact, of course, is not his property because it belongs to the United States government, as with every previous president uh, since the Presidential Records Act was passed. Uh, Several Trump advisors said each time he was asked to give documents back, his stance hardened and he gravitated toward lawyers and advisors who indulged uh, his more pugilistic desires, as the Post puts it. Now, um... People involved with the matter say the investigation is ongoing, no final determinations have been made, and blah, blah, blah. Now, remember, some of this stuff involves, uh, this was recovered by the FBI at Mar-a-Lago, documents about Iran and China, uh, the Iran missile program, sensitive intelligent work in China. So Trump, I suppose, could have used that with leverage, but he's not exactly negotiating with Iran right now. Um, I think this makes it extremely unlikely that he will be indicted on this. Because if, if prosecutors can't prove, if Merrick Garland can't prove that Donald Trump was trying to get something out of it, even if it wasn't money, I mean, Trump doesn't need the money, but leverage, um, I don't, some effort to use it to extract some kind of concessions from another country, anything like that. If it's just his ego and a desire to keep it because he thought it was his, where's the case? Intent is a very important factor in criminal law. Now, it doesn't mean that he can't be indicted on something related to January 6th. That obviously would resonate more with the country. But even there, since Trump 
may have incited the Capitol riot, may have set the stage for the Capitol riot, but I don't think there's anything actionable they can bring, but they can charge him with obstruction. They can charge him with, you know, process crimes. And I think that's a hard case to make unless DOJ has more on January 6th than we have been led to believe. So I really believe that if it's just his ego and and his desire to keep the stuff, it really knocks out the underpinning of a potential indictment because there's no intent. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Story four. Elon Musk uh, had posted something that said, by the way, I'd like to apologize for Twitter being super slow in many countries. App is doing less than a thousand poorly bashed RPCs. I don't know exactly what that is. Just to render a home timeline, he tweeted. So then there's a Twitter engineer whose name is Eric Fronhofer. He called out the boss's tweet on Twitter, of course, on Sunday, retweeting it and saying, I've spent uh, almost six years working on Twitter for Android and can say this is wrong. And then there was another tweet. Maybe he should ask questions privately, maybe using Slack or email. Must response, he's fired. Fronhofer retweeted must reply and added a saluting face emoji. Okay, there was a surprising amount of sympathy for Elon Musk on this. And I got to tell you, folks, this guy obviously didn't like Elon and was trying to rub his nose in it. There are very few companies in this country that would allow you to call the boss a liar to many, many people publicly, not just in some heated staff meeting, and keep your job. In other countries, you might wind up in jail or worse. So this guy was looking for it. I think there was a lot of sympathy for Elon. Like, of course he's fired. He's calling the guy a liar. Maybe he should have asked questions privately using Slack or email. Now, in other tech news, wow. Remember when they were all in Silicon Valley was just sort of this jobs engine? Amazon, preparing to carry out massive layoffs as soon as this week. It's been reported. About 10,000 jobs. The sputtering tech industry is not in good shape. Concentrated among the corporate workforce, said anonymous sources. But that relates to the next story. Amazon founder Jeff Bezos saying he will give the majority of his wealth away during his lifetime. Uh, he's worth about $124 billion, according to Forbes. He made the announcement in a joint CNN interview with his girlfriend, Lauren Sanchez. Remember when that was a huge scandal? Well, now she does interviews with him. And I have no problem with that. Um, the interview came out yesterday. Bezos didn't say exactly how he would do this, how he'd give away the money, but he says they were working on it. It's hard work. Yeah, I'm sure it's hard work giving away $100 billion. A problem I'd like to have, okay? But it is interesting, even though he's not running uh, Amazon day-to-day now, you know, look, 10,000 jobs doesn't get cut without his approval. Um, the hard part is figuring out how to do it in a levered way. 
In other words, getting other people to kick in as well. It's not easy. Building Amazon was not easy. It took a lot of hard work and very smart teammates. And I'm finding, and Lauren's finding, that philanthropy is very similar. It's not easy. It's really hard. Now, he'd been criticized in the past for not signing the giving pledge, unlike Bill Gates, Melinda French Gates, Warren Buffett, and others. Now, also over the weekend, Jeff Bezos and Lauren Sanchez announced they will give a no-strings-attached $100 million grant to singer... Dolly Parton, who has been praised for her philanthropic work toward helping to create the Moderna vaccine. Bezos gave a similar grant last year to chef Jose Andres and CNN commentator Van Jones. 100 million bucks, and they can do whatever they want with it. All right, number five. So when Harvey Weinstein went on trial in L.A., uh, I mentioned that his lawyer was just calling out his accusers and saying, you know, that they were wannabe actresses who wanted something from him and slept with them consensually, and now in the Me Too era, it's been recast as something else. And it was some pretty outrageous comments. But one of the women, in the trial, she's Jane Doe number four, Her name will not be uttered at the trial, but it's been said publicly who it is, and she's acknowledged it. Jennifer Siebel Newsom, the first lady of California. So she's Gavin Newsom's wife, and she testified yesterday, bursting into tears when asked to identify Weinstein from the witness stand. She spent uh, 15 minutes on the stand before a lunch break, Asked by a prosecutor if the person she saw is the one she met at the Toronto Film Festival in 2005. She went silent, then started crying, then managed to mutter yes into the microphone. Told to describe Weinstein for the record, she looked over to where he was sitting, still crying, and said he's wearing a suit, blue tie, and he's staring at me. She described her initial meeting, saying she was an actor and producer, played a few small roles, and nobody ever heard of her when she went to the festival with a group of entertainment industry friends. Um, She was in the hotel lobby area, and suddenly Weinstein approached her. It felt like the Red Sea was parting, she said. I don't know if it was deference or fear. She said Weinstein was the kingmaker to those in the room. I felt a bit intimidated. He was charming. He treated me initially initially like he was really curious about me. Maybe flattered is how I felt. She and a friend later met up with him at the hotel bar. I felt like there was a genuine interest in talking about my work. Well, that was Weinstein's MO. You know, I can do stuff for you. Um, And the attorney, this is what uh, Weinstein's attorney said about Jennifer in his opening statements. Uh, She has made herself a prominent victim in the Me Too movement, but otherwise she'd be just another bimbo who slept with Harvey Weinstein to get ahead in Hollywood. Isn't that sweet? Now, I do have to add that the judge in the case is allowing the defense to use an email that Jennifer Siebel Newsom sent to Weinstein in 2007, so that's two years later, asking him for help in dealing with the media surrounding a scandal involving her husband, who was mayor of San Francisco at the time. Yeah, it was a scandal because he slept with his best friend's wife. And if Gaffet Newsom ends up running president, you'll hear a lot about that. 
Um, but it's certainly fair to say, you know, how traumatized could she have been if she asked her rapist, as she puts it, for help? That's fair game. On the other hand, to slime her as a bimbo when clearly there's a whole pattern here of Weinstein promising to help women get ahead. Oh, he's just so interested in their career. I think the whole thing is just a despicable defense. And I don't think it's very likely to be a successful one. But we shall see. Every trial is different. Um, But obviously because Jennifer Seibel Newsom is married to Gavin, she's a very big target for the defense. And that's why, you know, the guy called her a bimbo, knowing you'll get publicity. And again, it just makes my stomach turn. So with that, appreciate you being with us. Appreciate the chance to have this extended conversation. You know, uh, one of the things I'm supposed to plug is Amazon Music, because you can go there now and get this ad-free. You can also do that other places, including Apple iTunes. We'll talk to you tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.